This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. It's Tuesday, so it's the big picture with Investec Asset Management. This week we speak to Portfolio Manager in Investec Asset Management's London office, and that's Russell Silverstone. Russell, we haven't spoken about Brexit for a while, and the headlines are getting more and more spiky, actually. If you look at the Telegraph this morning, it says Brexit was a stupid decision and could still be reversed, according to the top EU official. I think he is the chief of staff to Juncker, this fellow that said this. But you look at other headlines as well, and there's a blame game going on, and that disturbs me somewhat. Uh, absolutely. Hi, Lindsay. Totally. And I think the, the reason for this is, is the clock is ticking. Um, we, we started the exit negotiations and like any divorce, the, the, the passions run high. But there's a two year window to do this. And, you know, time time's passing quite quickly. I think the problem from the UK's perspective was there was never any real plan. It was uh, always political. Let's have a vote to leave the EU. And no one actually thought that people would actually vote to leave and there was no plan. But the best definition I've seen of, of the whole negotiations, it was, it was a quote in the UK um, paper, The Guardian, it said it's the undefined being negotiated by the unprepared in order to get the unspecified for the uninformed. That sums it up quite nicely. Very good indeed. You'll look back at 2016 and find that there were two events politically worldwide that weren't expected and the people that called the, sorry, let's say with Brexit, that was called by the government and they, it completely backfired. 51.9% of people voted to leave the European Union. No one was prepared, as you said. They thought it would be a breeze of three or four percentage points at least in order to stay in the EU. That hasn't happened. And the other one was, of course, Mr. Trump. He didn't expect to win the election, no matter what he says. And that's why he's so ill-prepared as a politician as well. But back to Brexit. What is the next step? Because the MPs come back today, I think, in the UK from their summer recess. And this is going to be top of mind, I think. Absolutely. It's going to be, I mean, it is completely swamping any other legislation in the UK. So the immediate focus is the EU laws are completely and utterly embedded into into the UK system. So the only way realistically to, to, to actually untangle that lot is to bring all EU law onto the statute book in the UK and this is called the Great Repeal Bill yeah. and then slowly but surely, you know, just, just unentwine ourselves. There's a debate about that, but of course, you know, there's debates are such such that, you know, actually can that be done just by MPs or, or cabinet cabinet ministers? Surely it has to go through the courts. So, you know, there, there's so much uncertainty over this and all the time you've got the clock ticking down and, you know, one by one the sort of sacred cows that were put up by the, the Brexiteers are coming down. So this idea we are going to have to have a a transition period we are going to have to pay into the budget and therefore we're going to have to keep our borders open and trade open the eu withdrawal bill is going to be read and it's going to be debated and then it's read again i think on thursday i mean the the process is so complicated and so convoluted one loses track but i think what we can say is that labor will vote against it and there could be some tory rebels that join them that doesn't mean to say that first is is there more than one vote because i I think the the ulster the ulster mps come in as well and they could they could swing it what is your understanding yeah so so my understanding is that the the government has a 
literally a tiny majority, and therefore, obviously, anyone that rebels against the government's line um, could, could, could therefore mean that the ruling Tory, Tories um, lose a vote. The um, small Northern Ireland party, 10 MPs, have aligned themselves to the Conservatives, cost the taxpayer dear, by the way, for enormous regional aid to Northern Ireland. And so the hope is that they will bolster the position. But the opposition Labour Party sent blood, I think, and therefore they're going to do all they can to make life difficult. And to be honest, if you, you know, their, their own position doesn't hold up to scrutiny, but this is politics. If they can wound the Prime Minister and the ruling Tories more than they already are, they, they will do everything they can. So it's a very delicate situation and no one really knows how it goes. And, and again, you know, every day passes. Uh, time is ticking by. So it's a real, you know, a, a real mess. And, and I just think it all comes back to this idea that, that you know, there was no plan for this at all. And, um, you know, it is no surprise, therefore, that, you know, economically um, things things are slowing down in the UK because no one really knows where we're going to be in two years' time. No, quite right. And when you say two years' time, you mean one and a half years' time because it's March 2019, which is the date when there will be Brexit. I mean, unless there's some extraordinary turnaround, some U-turn, which says let's have another referendum and people come to their senses, then of course it is going to go ahead then. And what I find extraordinary, although I'm sure that they are working behind the scenes, they're working at home and uh, in both Europe and, and Great Britain, the fact is that the next round of talks isn't till the end of September. I would have thought they could be locked in for the next year and a half with no breaks whatsoever. Because as we know, and as I keep on talking about the exit of Greenland, that took three years just, and all they had was a few fishing rights. Absolutely, and, and and a few hundred thousand people. So, yes. so no, it, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, I hope that, you know, the, the talks that we see on the news are, are the sort of culmination of civil servants who do the real work, of course, ongoing talks. Um, if if it is literally, you know, we'll sit down for a couple of days every couple of months, you know, I cannot contemplate that anything's going to get done. So I think they, those sort of formal meetings, hopefully, are the culmination, um, but it isn't, it isn't clear to me. But, you know, it does come down to the UK. I think the EU have been completely and utterly clear on this, you know, from day one which is we need to agree the terms of the divorce before we can talk about future relationships. And from the EU's, you know, if you look at this from the EU's perspective, um, they, 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 they run on, I think it's a seven-year budget cycle. Yes. Um, we have made a spending commitment to 2020. And the big problem for the EU's perspective is that if we walk away without honouring those those commitments we have made, someone else has got to pay for it. And of course, the EU is still a major, the UK is still a major economy. So who's going to pay that money? So they're saying, look, you know, you've got you've got to stump up the cash you've promised it anyway and and you know again another sacred cow that, that has been been sacrificed by the, the uk because we we are going to agree to do this and the other question is just just how much money it is and of course there's pension obligations as well you know we have several staff in the eu who, who we who we have to pay the pensions for as well so there's all these obligations the eu have been clear on this from day one and 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 you know the uk sort of blasted into this saying you know boris johnson over my dead body will we ever pay money and you know mm. the eu will be will be you know delighted to seek trade deals with us and, and and they've just stuck to the line and i think what's really interesting as well the line being taken by the eu is 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 clearly a, a majority well all eu countries are completely behind that so they're absolutely united on this so yeah we're sort of 
pluckily trying to negotiate this, but the EU are just standing there saying, we've said from day one, this is what you've got to do. And slowly but surely, I think I, th- I think that's sort of dawning on the UK. Pound is currently around 129 and a quarter against the US dollar. And what's the history? Just give us a brief potted history of the pound since the Brexit vote was first revealed and where you see it going now. This is terribly important for you, of course, being based in London, but also for South Africa, as we are a big trading partner of Britain. And so therefore, the pound is terribly, terribly, terribly important to us. No, no, absolutely, and um, you know it's still it's still one of the most actively traded currencies in 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 the world. And the very quick history is an enormous devaluation on the day after um, the day after Brexit, and then sort of tracking sideways, it then fell very sharply again around party conference season. So in the UK, party conference season is is, is late September October, and that's when the Prime Minister sort of vowed to give a. Um, you know, for contemplate a hard Brexit. And actually, since then, we've just tracked sideways. And the way we, we look at currency here is we look at things in sort of three through three lenses. So yes. we look at sort of the fundamental backdrop. We look at whether a currency is cheap or expensive, and we try and determine whether investors are long or short. Now, when you look at the UK, we are one of the sort of slowest growing major economies. We're sort of tickling along at sort of 0.3 a quarter. So, you know, we're, we're going to be lucky to make one and a half percent growth this year. But when it comes to value, the pound is actually really cheap. Um, we, we market it, well, not really cheap, it's around about 6% cheap. But most importantly for us is investors are very short of the pound, so they've sold it in anticipation of being able to buy it back. We then ask, okay, so so who's now, who now is the marginal seller of the pound, given it's, given it's actually quite cheap? So tactically, which, which I'd sort of define as, as, as a view over sort of several weeks, we're actually bullish on the pound. And for that simple reason that, you know, we, look, we know the fundamentals are bad. We know the Brexit negotiations are a mess. And that's sort of in the price. And only if we sort of, you know, either have the sort of second referendum or, or we just literally just walk away from the EU with no deal, would I expect the pound to fall, fall much further? But because it's cheap and because investors are short of it, actually, we quite like it here. So so, you know, we're looking for a sort of four to five percent retracement from current levels. But, you know, the trouble with this is there's there's there's, there's so much noise around it. It's, it's a fairly volatile ride. Um, but that, that's 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 our view at the moment. It's difficult to have a, a firm medium term view, but on a multi week view, and I'll define that between now and Christmas, say, yeah. um, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see it rally just because, you know, that we're talking about it. Everyone's talking about it. That sort of bad news is largely in the price, I think. Very good. And does it make does it make your life very difficult when you get all these rather emotive headlines flying around about Brexit? Can you block yourself out when it comes to asset allocation and valuation of assets? Yep. Yep. No, I think that's why you've got you've got to have an anchor, you know, and, and you know, a valuation is a, is an anchor. And I always have a sort of a saying just one of the best cases is, you know, focus on what matters and you have to you have to try and block yourself out from the noise. But yeah, of course it's of course it's, you know, hard. Um, hard to do and you know the, there's so many participants particularly in foreign exchange and so much turnover that, that it is quite hard but yeah. for us it's, it's quite simply risk and reward actually you know we, we and we would look at it and say actually uh, we're close to historic lows in the pound it's a cheap currency we know investors are, are, are short of it it's quite extended um, therefore we think risk reward you know is stacking up in in favor of the pound but yes we have to watch those uh, well, we have to watch those headlines carefully Russell, thanks very much for your analysis. That's Russell Silverstone from Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.